I'm Hillary. I'm Emily. And, and we're, we're the, the sirens. sirens. Today we're talking about the 1962 movie The Music Man. And in July 1912, a traveling salesman, Professor Harold Hill, arrives in River City, intrigued by the challenge of swindling stubborn Iowans. <laughs> Masquerading as a traveling band instructor, Hill plans to con the citizens of River City into paying him to create a boys' marching band, including instruments and uniforms, which we have to talk about how that con actually is effective. Uh -huh. <laughs> Once he has collected the money and the instruments and uniforms have arrived, he'll hop the next train out of town, leaving them without their money or a band. Hill anticipates that Marion, the town librarian and piano instructor, will figure him out, so he sets out to seduce her. Real feelings develop between them, which complicates both Marion's plan to expose him and Hill's plan to leave town. Musical hijinks and chapoopy ensue. <laughs> and I'm a little bit concerned that this is going to be the first musical we look at where I'm very low on the scale <laughs> and you're very high on the scale. <laughs> There's a first time for everything, Emily. <laughs> Uh, so, just a couple pieces of trivia. Morton DaCosta, who directed the stage version of the musical, both directed and produced the film. So the film was very faithful to the Broadway show, mm -hmm. which was a big hit and had come out only a couple years before the movie. Preston, who was the lead playing Harold Hill, the actress Pert Kelton, who played Marion's mom, and the Buffalo Bills Quartet reprised their stage roles. Um, the role of Harold Hill was offered to Cary Grant, uh -huh. <laughs> but Grant declined, saying nobody could do that role as well as Bob Preston. Yeah. It's a new year, 2020, and we're switching up the format a little bit, so we're just going to be doing one bio per... Um, so do you want to tell us a little bit more about Robert Preston, which I think is the first time we've seen him? Um, and I will preface this by saying that I took issue with the framing of, of his bio on Wikipedia. So, um, oh. yeah, <clears throat> mostly because at some point in this bio the uh, that I was reading on Wikipedia, whoever, whatever Wikipedia editor decided that it would be appropriate to say that Robert Preston was not known for his, his singing voice, even though he is best known in part for the music man and Mame and Victor Victoria. So oh. I don't know how that can possibly be true. That yeah. is <laughs> you you're not a Broadway lead without having a good singing voice. All that being said, um, Robert Preston Maservi uh, was born uh, in Newton, Massachusetts on June 8, 1918. Following the attack on Pearl Harbor and the United States' entry into World War II, he, as a young man, joined the United States Army and served as an intelligence army uh, officer. When he began appearing in films, the studio he was uh, under contract with ordered him to stop using his actual family name, so it was at that point that he became known as Robert Preston. He appeared in many Hollywood films that were westerns, and then also in the sound remake of the movie Beau Geste, which came out in 1939 and starred Gary Cooper and Ray Milland, and then he was featured in Northwest Mountain Police in 1940. He appeared throughout the 1940s and 50s in a number of stage productions, including the title role in the musical Ben Franklin in Paris, and he originated the role of Henry II 
involved in the stage production of The Lion in Winter. By the time he played Professor Harold Hill in The Music Man in 1962, he had already won a Tony Award for his performance in the original 1957 Broadway production, and um, uh, Meredith Wilson, who uh, wrote the story for of The Music Man, he insisted that, that Robert Preston participate in the, the film over the objections of producer Jack Warner, who had wanted to cast Frank Sinatra or Cary Grant, which would be a very different movie. Um, yeah, but I mean, I could see Cary Grant's charm, but I just, I don't know. Yeah. And Frank Sinatra, not at all. Yeah. Well, and it would have been the same year that he was in Charade, I think. So imagine oh. that Cary Grant. In... No. No. In 1979 and 1980, Preston per portrayed um, the family patriarch um, Hadley Chisholm, um, in the Western miniseries, The Chisholm's. He also appeared in the 70s in Maine in Victor Victoria in 1982, for which he received an Academy Award nomination, which falls outside the, the scope of our podcast, but it is a fantastic movie. And Emily, if you have not seen it, you might have to. Oh, okay. <laughs> also has Julie Andrews in it. Preston died of lung cancer on March 21st, 1987, at the age of 68. He was cremated and his ashes were scattered at sea. Whoa. Um, I really don't know him that well as an actor, but I did think he was excellent in this role. I have seen Victor Victoria and The Music Man and um, Beaugest, so I've seen him in enough things that I was surprised to hear, to see somebody, you know, pigeonhole him into um, one particular kind of performances. Well, you could always go and re-edit it on Wikipedia. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> I'm going to become a Wikipedia editor just to fix this entry. <laughs> <laughs> um so uh, you had never seen the movie version of the music man is that right i think i might have seen scenes from this verse so i do have a history with the music man it's not this movie i saw a, a bad high school production of it uh -huh. when i was in high school there was a remake of it that came out in the 2000s which i saw on tv Oh, right, with, and, with, like, Matthew Broderick in it. Yes, yeah, exactly. And then I recently, like, within the past couple of years, saw a professional stage version of it. Mm -hmm. Well, we'll talk about it. I feel like this is just not my kind of musical. <laughs> there's not enough tap like, dancing in it? Is that what you're trying to say? Well, no, there's no tap dancing. <laughs> it's, I don't know what it is, or if it's just, like, I like musicals from a certain era, but it just, the corniness of it was not the type of corny that I like. It was just, like, annoying to me. <laughs> and there were a lot of scenes that I really wanted to fast forward through. And I I have to admit, I actually did fast forward through the Shapoopy number because I hate what? that song so much. What? <laughs> Emily. <laughs> but I will say this. There's a lot of really beautiful music in it. Shirley Jones is amazing. Okay, you, you're winning. You're winning yourself back into my heart. Yeah, <laughs> but I also have a lot of questions about the actual plot. Mm -hmm. What we're supposed to believe is happening mm -hmm. with the characters internally. Yeah, and also all the child actors are super annoying, and I want them all gone. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm just. I'm laying it out there. The one thing I will say for this movie is the production value was great. It had a huge ensemble cast. Like, some of the scenes, I was like, they must have had, like, a thousand extras yeah. in these scenes. It was pretty incredible. The costumes were great. 
The dancing was technically good, but I didn't really like it. <laughs> I don't know. So anyway, that's that's kind of my take. But what about your history with this? Because I know this is a movie you really love, and I'm sorry to say negative things about it. <laughs> um, this is um, one of the first movies that I remember like listening to the soundtrack over and over again on repeat, and I forced my family to listen to the cassette in the car. And it was the movie that made me fall in love with Shirley Jones. And it was my favorite movie from the time I was like eight years old up until probably I was 25. And wow. yes, I've seen probably three or four productions of it, including one with Shirley Jones in it. Wow. And yeah, she did that. She and her son, the son that she was pregnant with when she was filming this movie, they were, they did a production of it at the Kennedy Center um, probably wow. 10 years ago. And then I saw a production of it at the Guthrie in Minneapolis, which was the production of it that, like, made me realize that, like, <clears throat> it really matters if <laughs> how, like, who, how good the actors are and, how like, how good the staging is. And there were a couple of things that they changed in that production of it that, like, t just, like, very small things that, like, clarified what Marion's motivation was that I can't unsee now. It, like, I just, like, put it on to the movie when I see it. Tell tell what they are. Well, so they made it really obvious that Marion's motivation was to protect her brother and that like she she would basically do anything to make it so so that her her brother's heart wasn't broken any longer because he's you know expense he he doesn't talk much because he has a lisp but also because he's still like grieving the death of his father and so like that production that I saw like did a few little things that made it clear that she even before she like fell in love with Harold Hill she kind of was like okay I'm not gonna like spill the beans about him because he's made my brother so happy. Like I, I saw that production right at that moment where I was like, oh my God, what if this is really a terrible movie? <laughs> and, Whoa. Um, and a terrible story. <laughs> anyway, so... That's interesting, because I don't... Like, I knew that she had some motivation around, like... I thought that that was kind of what made her like Harold, mm -hmm. that he was so good with her brother, but I, I didn't get that. She was... I don't know. Yeah, we should at some point talk more about... Like, I'm, I was very confused about, like, what actually made her like him. Yeah. <laughs> because I thought he was just very aggressive and pushy and obnoxious. Yeah. Well, uh, and I think even, like, as when they go to the footbridge, like, what she says to him is, I don't expect you to stay. I don't expect you to be in love with me. I don't expect you to, like, you don't owe me anything at all. You just opened up. You, like, made it possible for me to, like, feel feelings I haven't felt in a while or ever. And, like, that's all I needed. So, like, if you need to go, go. And I think that was the moment that he really fell in love with her when he was like, oh, crap. <laughs> I actually do yeah. I have actual feelings for you. I've conned myself into loving you. I saw the, like, professional stage production a couple of years ago, which was well done. And I remember when I saw that one, it seeming more like, I, it, it felt less like stand by your man and more like, Look, I know I'm going to get hurt in this situation, but I'm going to love you anyway because, like, I want to have this experience mm -hmm. of being in love. And that I got more. But then when I was watching the movie, it didn't feel as much like that to me. Mm -hmm. Like, the way she kept saying, like, you don't owe me anything, I was like, have some self-respect. Like, it's okay to have needs and, like, ask for things. Yeah. 
it, what one of the things that makes me sad about this movie is that there's this whole song about how she like what her ideal man is is like you know a intellectual who enjoys Shakespeare and Beethoven and what she ends up with at the end of this movie is this con man who, who knows what he knows he does he doesn't know anything about music and like yeah. and so like I kind of you know when she's saying like you don't owe me anything in some ways I'm like yeah that that is you like standing up for you know what you really want which is not this guy what you really want is a guy who's in like who can match you intellectually and you know this is a guy who just is like teaching you how to like you know have feelings it seems like it was a very abrupt change in her in the movie yeah like all of a sudden she was just very swoony over him yeah and i hadn't really sensed an attraction from her earlier yeah so that felt strange to me mm-hmm and it really wasn't up until like the very last second that even after they were like making out on the bridge he was still saying yeah i had to keep her quiet like to his friend mm. and i was like you're a pretty terrible person well but i think at that point he's conning his friend he's like he's oh crap like here's this guy over here who like is saying one thing to me here's this woman over here who's telling this saying this other thing to me those things are in conflict <laughs> like i don't know who i am anymore or like what i need to do yeah i think The interesting thing about Hill as a character is that you actually don't get to know him at all. Right, you know just enough to know we don't know who this guy is at all. That his name isn't Harold Hill. We know that his name is actually Gregory, but we don't know anything else about him. And that he's been, you know, run out of town on a rail. Yeah, we basically just see the con. Yeah. I was just going to say his cadence and the way that he presents everything I thought were perfect in the role. And it felt like real life. You know how you you know people who just kind of you know can put it on uh-huh. and always act like they know everything. Uh-huh. And yes, like, I, I have sh- met uh, plenty of white men. <laughs> <laughs> they schmooze and they <laughs> pretend like they have all the answers and yeah. So I felt like that part was very believable. Mm-hmm. But I think if I were married, I would have been more annoyed by it. Because even after she started to like him, he was still acting that way, you know, towards her, the way he was speaking to her and everything was still was like the con. Yeah. And I was like, isn't this don't you find this insulting? Because con people who con are like, the whole thing is that they're getting one over with you. They feel like they're smarter than everyone mm-hmm. else. The part of me was thinking about him as just, like, this compulsive liar who has, like, built up this, like, web of lies. Like, at some point realizes that it's such a tangled web of lies that he is also tangled up in it. And he can, he can no longer tell what is true and what is false. And at some point he's just, like, face that fact and fa- and figure out what the true thing is. And even when, like, Marion is like, here's the wand or whatever to conduct this band at the end, he's like, oh... I, like, I don't, this is where the truth is going to come out. You know, he ends up doing it, like, going through with it, I think, in part because he knows that, you know, that's what's best for him. Yeah, I see that. I did like a lot of the love songs in this, I think, are really great. Like, Till There Was You is, I think that's one of the best musical love songs. That song was played at our wedding. (gasps) Oh, (laughs) that's so cool, Hill. (laughs) So... I love the um, the train song at the beginning. Yes. Um, what I also love about the train song and You Got Trouble is that I remember being an eight-year-old singing along to those songs and not having any idea what, like, 70% of those words are. 
And then, like, every year progressively as I'd, like, revisit the soundtrack, I'd be like, oh, oh, I know what a cistern is now. I understand what that line is. <laughs> and, like, I mean, this is not, these are, these are, like, old-fashioned vocabulary words that, like, I definitely did not know what they were when I was you know, in elementary school. So, well, I have to ask you, so you're a Midwesterner. Mm-hmm. It is 100% like that is what it's like. I mean, are you, seriously? Yes. What? Yeah. Yes. Do people say egads? No. No, but the, the like, yeah, we'll give you the shirt off our back, but like, please don't speak to us. <laughs> like, oh, okay. <laughs> don't talk yeah, to us about stuff, it later. I was like, is this... <laughs> I could tell if it was, like, insulting or, like, accurate. I mean, I don't know enough to know. But um, I did like that Give Iowa a Try song. (laughs) I liked how when he first got to town, like, no one would talk to him. uh, Speaking of things that I discovered, when, you know, the line about, like, oh, can you recommend a good hotel? And the guy's like, try the Palmer House in Chicago. Which then I at some point went to the Palmer House and I was like, oh, that's a kind of a hilarious joke because it's a really nice hotel <laughs> and, and it is not in Iowa. <laughs> yeah, I thought it was funny how he deliberately wanted to go to Iowa because everyone was like, oh, you'll never get anywhere in Iowa. Yeah. And he was like, well, I'll do it. Yeah. It was so ridiculous, though. Like. <laughs> The, Watch the it. town. <laughs> it seems like nobody works, and everyone's just like hanging around. Um, and when the Marion works wagon two jobs, Marion has okay. two jobs. But what no, about she's the, the only one who does work. <laughs> she's the only one who has a job. And then his friend who works at the livery, but we never really see him working. Well, yeah, the, he like comes by and like visits him while he's working, and then they sing the sadder but wiser girl. Oh, that's right. That song made me mad. <laughs> I don't know. There are a lot of these songs are about like women's sexual behavior and like what's Policing acceptable it. and what's not. Yes, yeah. I did not like that. Yeah, no, it's that's not good. But so when the Wells Fargo wagon comes into town, literally the whole town is like standing in a line waiting for it to come in in like the middle of the day. Well, maybe it was a Saturday. <laughs> <laughs> it's a small town. Um, <laughs> they're all old. <laughs> What did you think of the barbershop quartet, the Buffalo Bills? I I have no feelings about barbershop quartets and the Buffalo Oh, really at all. <laughs> like, <laughs> well, I thought the joke was funny, but I was surprised. I mean, this is one of those movies where you could t- like the trivia that I said that they kept it really faithful to the mm-hmm. Broadway show. It was very obvious because some of it was just slow moving. Yeah, like they would they did a whole song. Yeah, yeah. That was not main characters, like for no reason. Like they could have just done a couple lines mm-hmm. and like faded out. But they were like, no, we're doing the whole song <laughs> that has nothing to do with anything. <laughs> yeah, I could have done without the whole. Yeah, most of the Bar Burger Shop Quartet. Like it was fine the one time, and they probably could have done it maybe you know one more time just to like reinforce like yeah this thing he set up still is a thing and everybody's more harmonious literally and figuratively but we don't need multiple songs of them like wandering by singing in four part harmony yeah i kind of felt like i was the most interested in like the two leads Mm -hmm. and then when they had a lot of a lot of the scenes that were supposed to be funny with the supporting characters, I did not find funny. Like, like the mayor, like always getting his words wrong, yeah. and 
the like Grecian urn dancing and stuff. Yeah. What did you think about Zanita and Tommy Gilas? Well, so I kind of liked that Hill took. That's that it's weird calling him Hill because I also call you Hill. <laughs> it's fine. I, I... said <laughs> Professor Hill. Uh-huh. I'm going to start um, responding only to Professor Hill now. <laughs> okay. Uh, he picked out sort of the troublemaking kid mm-hmm. and saw that he was a leader mm-hmm. and then used that. Because mm-hmm. in a way it was like recognizing potential in him and harnessing it. So yeah. I liked that. Um, the mayor's daughter, I just thought was incredibly annoying yeah. and could have done without her altogether. <laughs> like the whole EGADS over and over thing. Yeah. Yeah. That was annoying. <laughs> Winthrop, I thought was super annoying. Well, do you know who that actor is? Yes. It's Ron Howard. Yes. <laughs> so he got less annoying. He did get less. I mean, I don't think him as an actor... Like, it was, that wasn't the problem. I think it was just the character. Like, it was annoying to me in the same way that the younger sister in Meet Me in St. Louis was really annoying. (laughs) Yeah, there's no getting around it. You are annoying as a character. But I did, like, I liked that Professor Hill showed an interest in him Mm -hmm. and all of that. I really didn't get that subtext of that Winthrop was, like, badly affected by his father's death. Mm -hmm. I didn't pick up on that. Yeah, she mentions it just in passing at some point, like, when she's yelling at Professor Hill about, like, she says something about how, like, he's a scared little boy who can't understand why his father was taken away from him. You know, and he's been brooding about it for five years or something like that, and... Or two years, and maybe maybe Professor Hill, you can explain it to him, which, like, woo. But, like, that, I think, what? is the only mention of it. And I only know that that happened because I've seen this movie dozens of times. <laughs> yeah, I totally didn't pick up. Like, I didn't know. Like, it seemed like there was a pretty big age gap between them. Mm-hmm. But I didn't really know, like, where the father was. Yeah. Can we talk about the actual, like, con itself? Uh-huh. I don't understand why. Like, so he actually produced instruments and uniforms. Right. So, like, wouldn't a better con have just been like, oh, you're all ordering these things, and then he leaves? Yeah, and he, he that was the original, like, thing that he did, that and that was the thing that he was doing when Marcellus was helping him. And then he just, like, made it more elaborate because he could make more money on it. And it was just a little bit more complicated, so he just had to time it right. But then he developed the whole, like, think system. He stays long enough to collect, you know, the money for, I guess, you know, whatever comes second. And then he hits the, hits the rails um, out of town. So he just made it more complicated so that he could make more money. Because he, like, had done the con several times. But so, but didn't the kids get both instruments and uniforms? Yes. In this? Yes. So, like, what... Remember, he was, like, walking around to the townspeople, and he was, like, making up shit about their... You have this, like, thing with your palate, so your son must have that same palate, too, which is totally made up. You know, totally buttering them up, and then he, like, signs, you know, signs them up to order whatever the instrument is, and they hand over the cash there. But he has to, like, stick around to, like, teach them, quote-unquote, teach them the think system. And, yeah, and then he, like, leaves right when the band uniforms come. So the additional money is, like, for lessons? I don't know. It just seems like if they give him money... Why isn't he leaving immediately? Yeah, that's what I don't get. And why is he actually ordering stuff? Like, it doesn't make sense. I don't know. But but they get uniforms in the end. Yeah. He's... You're... I don't know. You're smarter than the average um, Iowan, I guess. (laughs) 
<laughs> I mean, part of it is know. that he's supposed to be, like, leading the band and setting the band up so that then they're, like, ready to go. Yeah. I mean, I get that he... So, I don't know. It feels like it's not much of a con if he's... Like, that's more just like being a trap, like a regular salesman, and it's just like, well, I convinced you to buy this stuff you don't need. <laughs> but they actually <laughs> got true. the stuff. Yeah. So there's nothing illegal happened. Right. Yeah. I mean, I guess, like, there is that, like, tension of, like, there there are these, like, other traveling salesmen, like, now, or, like, maybe even then they knew that traveling salesmen, like, not, they're just, you know, fly-by-nights, you know, but there was, like, the tension in this story that there were, like, some good traveling salesmen that this guy was, like, giving a bad name. So you have to, like, suspend some of that, like, disbelief, I guess. If if I were the con, uh-huh. I would have just been like, all right, I'll take your orders. See ya. Get a whole bunch of money. And leave. Exactly. And then the risk is lower. You get all the money. You don't have to produce anything. <laughs> That's true. I guess I just, I'm overthinking the con. Because I'm like, this con seems actually less lucrative than if he just did something that was less risky. Yeah. <laughs> Well, I think he has to make it a bigger thing because otherwise he would, because he's trying to sell to like the whole town so he can make all this money. So he has to like build up, you know, like when he first gets there, you know, what, what kind of trouble is there around here? And Marcellus is like, there's really no trouble around here. There's no problem you need to solve because people are only going to buy things if they have a problem they need to solve. Um, You know, like they won't just like buy things because it's 19... 12 or whatever in Iowa. So they're not just going to be like, oh yeah, so I've decided today I want a trumpet um, or a flugelhorn. <laughs> Very practical. Yes. So he had to like first like build up the problem of the pool table and be like, here's this big problem of the pool table. So you need this big solution to go like to match the big problem. We're not kind of. I-, I felt like that, <laughs> that pool table. <laughs> <laughs> the pool table song resonated with me because... We just got a pool table, and it caused a lot of trouble. (laughs) I was like, you're right, pool tables are bad. Pool tables cause trouble. We all want to help one another. Human beings are like that. We want to live by each other's happiness, not by each other's misery. Well, are we ready to talk about social justice? I think so. I was thinking about the whole Tommy Gillis narrative as a, like, social justice piece of this movie because they mention in passing that his, you know, father is an immigrant. He lives on the wrong side of of the tracks. He's, like, totally the, like, pariah for the town when anything, like, remotely happens. I mean, he does light a firecracker off behind um, Mrs. Shin, but, like... I thought that was kind of hilarious, (laughs) though. Well, and that, like, he runs up and does it. Everyone can see them, and then Mayor Shin is like, who did that? (laughs) And then the girl is like, it was Tommy Gillis. It's like, we can all see that it was Tommy Chalice. <laughs> Everyone can see that. Yeah, he definitely needed to be voted out of office because <laughs> he was pretty incompetent. <laughs> and that could be a social justice thing, too, that, like, the town, like, government was just, like, not effective. Yeah. I mean, and then they tried to do vigilante justice. Yeah. There, did, there were a couple of racial things. Yeah. Yes. I mean, obviously the Native American yes. skit was problematic. Wrong. <laughs> and then did you notice, so you know all the words to the pool song. Mm-hmm. Did you notice how they talk about ragtime and then your kids are going to get jungle fever? Mm-hmm. Like, that's definitely like a dog whistle, right? I think so. Okay. I just wanted lyrics. to make sure. I'm looking at those lyrics. He says, one, one fine night they leave the pool ha- hall heading for the dance at the armory. Libertine men and scarlet ribbon women 
and ragtime shameless music that'll grab your son, your daughter, oh, in the, with the arms of a jungle animal instinct. Mass hysteria. So, I guess you could be right. I have never heard it that way, but... Because he talked about the ragtime, and then, I don't, it like, and then he says, like, jungle and animal, I was like, oh, I don't know how I feel about this. <laughs> no, I think that's a good, you know, it could be. I mean, there are no people of color in this town, so I don't know if they're very tolerant people. I mean, based on the what we know about the people in this town, I would say they are not very tolerant people. Yeah, so, I mean, I wouldn't put it past them. No, that's a good call. I don't know if there was, like, a super strong social justice message, but, I mean, there was sort of, like, a have leniency to people who commit crimes, I guess, who are white men. Yeah, who are white men. Yeah, uh, white men who are not uh, immigrants, because they're all about, like, oh, Tommy Gillis is the scapegoat for everything. But, yeah, overall, I didn't think a very strong social justice Yes, yeah, there were opportunities message. to talk about it, and they didn't. <laughs> it just um, showed how it showed the context of the time really i've been living my own life making my own decisions for a long while now it's impossible to go back to being treated like a child again did you think it passed the bechdel test i do not think it passed the bechdel test <laughs> yeah i didn't really think about it while i was watching it i mean there are definitely a lot of conversations between women mm -hmm. But they're like but, they're they're kind of catty. Yeah. Oh, that pick a little talk a little song. Oh my gosh. <laughs> the stereotypes alone. <laughs> Marion and her mom talk about her brother. Yeah. But I was trying to think of like if anyone has any sort of substantive conversation that's not about a man. The ladies auxiliary dance troupe. You know, they like obviously are having conversations about the dancing, but it's like not really substantive. Yeah, that's true. And I guess Marion talks to that little girl about her piano lesson. Mm -hmm. So here and there, but I don't think it really counts as passing the Bechdel test. Yeah, I agree. There, there were a lot of, like, it, I mean, I think this movie falls into that category of, like, oh, the 60s films are less feminist than, like, the 30s and 40s films. Yeah. <laughs> because uh, that conversation that Marion has with her mother mm -hmm. where... She's like, well, these married women don't want your advice because you don't have a husband, so what could you possibly know? Yeah, right. And she's like, I know a lot of things. <laughs> I've always wanted to know more about Marion's backstory to be like, I'm like, how do you, how do you know all of these things? Yeah, I th I liked the Marion of the first half of the movie a lot better. Like, oh, uh, I before I she think got her man before she got the man. Yeah, before she capitulated to Professor. <laughs> <laughs> And his aggressive, like, getting in her face and, like, not respecting her no. <laughs> mm -hmm. I I thought her job at the library seemed really cool. The library was gorgeous. She had, like, a decent life. Like, she was, like, working at the library. She was, like, had her brother, was doing her piano lessons. Like, I could see her wanting to maybe get out of the town, but... Yeah, I think she really like wanted she to was get out this... of the town. <laughs> yeah, like, I think a better... I, like... I would like to see Marion fully actualized and, like, leave River City. Yeah, she needs to go to go the, get a PhD. Yeah, she needs to go to the Palmer House in Chicago. <laughs> yes. She was a really good, interesting character, though. Like, I kind of was kept guessing about her motivations throughout, mm -hmm. and I think I will keep thinking about her. Yeah. Tell me confidentially. Are these rumors true that wedding bells are soon to ring for you and Lena? Oh, so we're introducing a new feature, which is... 
Twitter Q and A. Jill asked if there was any drama on the set or any anecdotes about the filming process. And one thing I thought was interesting, and Hillary, you mentioned this, that Shirley Jones was pregnant mm-hmm. during the. She found out she was pregnant while it was filming. Yeah, and she told the director, and he was okay with it, but said, "Don't tell anybody else." Yeah. And you could notice, I didn't read this until after I saw the movie, but I did notice, like, her costumes had a lot of, like, drapes Mm -hmm. sort of around her, like, lower abdomen and stuff. And that was to conceal the her growing. Although she still was, like, a toothpick, so I never would have guessed she was pregnant. Yeah. But um, apparently when she and Robert Preston embraced um, on the footbridge... Uh The baby kicked Preston. Yes. <laughs> and that's how he found out that she was pregnant. Yeah, he was like, what is happening? <laughs> <laughs> and then later in life, he met her son. Mm-hmm. And he was like, hi, I'm Patrick. Nice to meet you. And Preston was like, yes, we've already met. <laughs> <laughs> so I just thought that was a fun thing. Yeah. Also, like, I'm always really impressed with how amazing women are and, like, doing this incredible work while pregnant and who knows how she was feeling and everything at the time. Yeah, so. she was just working very, very hard. That's it for the Twitter Q&A, but for future movies, look out. For, I'll, I'll put a call out uh, on Twitter a couple times to submit questions about the movie, and then we might answer them on the episode. Hooray. So, Hill, um, what rating would you give this movie? Shaming me. <laughs> I'm not shaming you. you lo- you're allowed to like what you like. Yeah. Problematic movies. It's not the most problematic movie we've watched. <laughs> no, I gave Gidget, like, four stars or something, so. I mean, I-, I would say, like, on pure, like, movie quality, this is probably a 3.5. But is that your rating? That's what I'm going to give it. What are, what are you going to give it? Choose your answer carefully if you want to still be friends <laughs> with me. I mean, it's... Say oh whatever God. you're going to say and then add a point to it. Oh my gosh. Well, that... Uh, Don't say uh, 1.5. <laughs> I mean... I'm just kidding. It's hard for me to... So this is one of those movies where I think objectively it's very well done. Mm-hmm. All the acting is good, the music is good, the production is good. Like, I don't have any complaints about that. I think I just don't particularly like the story. Yeah. <laughs> so, I guess I was gonna say 2.5, but maybe I'll give it a 3, because I do think it is a, it's like an objectively good movie, but, but honestly, yeah. yeah, like, it's a, it's a technically very good movie. It's all in all the, like, top musicals like best song movies like all the lists but it's just not for me mm-hmm. and this actually rewatching it made me question because we had had plans to go see the revival no! of with Hugh Jackman and Sutton Foster and I like both of them a lot and I was like I just don't know if I can do Shapoopy <laughs> <laughs> and the pick a little talk a little song oh my gosh <laughs> I don't know Hill I could see, though, why this movie, like, gets revived a lot, mm-hmm. you know? It's kind of, it's fun. Yeah, and there's, like, big... You can get a lot of people on stage. Yes, definitely. You could have a bunch of people just in the back holding trombones, and they could still say they had a part. <laughs> holding trombones. <laughs> 76 trombones, you might say. So, exactly. 76 people holding trombones who don't have to sing or dance. <laughs> just stand there and hold the trombones. <laughs> 
Um, so what's our next movie, Hill? Um, well, it has been probably two movies since we've seen a Cary Grant movie, so we're we're running back to Cary Grant and Deborah Carr for the first time. Yeah, see and discuss um, an affair. Oh my gosh, I can't wait! Can you believe I've never seen that movie? It's been a long time since I've seen it, but I don't remember it. Huh. <laughs> Perfect for Valentine's yeah. Day. <laughs> May it please the court, I submit that my entire line of defense is based on the proposition that persons of the female sex should be dealt with before the law as the equals of persons of the male sex. Follow The Screen Sirens on Twitter at The Screen Sirens. And leave us a review on iTunes or SoundCloud to help other people find us. Thanks for listening. After all, tomorrow is another day.